My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders for our church. We're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs this morning on the topic of priorities. If this is your first time with us, we are delighted to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. When you've got a big decision to make and you ask for wisdom for that decision, what are you really asking for? Because I suspect that what most people hope to receive when they ask for wisdom and what God hopes to give when he provides wisdom are not usually the same thing. Let's say a career opportunity opens up, but it would require you to move your family should you take it or not. When you ask for wisdom for such matters, what are you really asking for? Because I suspect that many people think that finding wisdom means receiving a single answer to the question. I'm looking at job options A, B, and C, and the wisdom of God will tell me which letter is the one I should circle on the exam paper. But sadly, that's not how wisdom works. It's not like an answer key to the many questions on the test of life. Wisdom is far more about having the right priorities than it is about choosing any particular option. So this morning, we're going to look at many specific proverbs that tell us clearly what order things should go in. These proverbs address two main areas, financial and relational. And I hope you'll see with me by the end that the wisdom of God requires a stubborn refusal to put things in the wrong order. Let me pray for us and for our time in God's word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we bow before you as the great King and mighty God. And we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are the one who gives life, the one who promises to give your people wisdom. And so we ask now that you would please grant us wisdom, that we would see and hear and understand what you have revealed in your word so that we might become a people who would live according to the order of things that you've established, the priorities that you have set out for us and help us to perceive in our own lives where our priorities may not be lining up with yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First, let's talk about financial priorities. When it comes to money, modern Westerners are notorious for putting things in all the wrong order. But the wisdom of God is clear that we need to keep two main financial priorities in mind. Those two things are that, first, wealth is better than poverty. Wealth is better than poverty. And second, many other things are better than wealth. 
Okay, these are the two principles that we'll see in Proverbs. Let me show you these two principles in the text. First, wealth is better than poverty. I covered this a few months ago in my sermon on five misconceptions about wealth. So I'll just briefly remind you of it now. Look at chapter 10, verse 15 in the book of Proverbs. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. You see, there are some strands of Christianity that romanticize poverty. As though vows of poverty make a person less worldly and closer to God. But Proverbs teaches that poverty ruins people. Poverty creates a situation where a person may be prone to lie and steal just to survive. Picture the homeless orphan on the streets of the big city, snatching goods from the tables of vendors when their eyes are averted. Nobody, except perhaps the merchant himself, complains about this because nobody wants the orphan to go hungry. However, access to wealth would clearly be better, a better way of meeting that orphan's needs. The Bible, you see, does not romanticize poverty. In fact, it commands God's people to help poor people get out of poverty. Because wealth opens up opportunities for provision, for service, and for influence that a person wouldn't otherwise have. So we don't have to demonize wealth and we don't have to demonize those with access to wealth in order to faithfully live out God's instructions. Wealth is better than poverty. However, we must not stop there. Because the second big idea with respect to wealth is that there are many things that are even better than wealth. Many things. I mean many. Let me walk through them quickly with you because we really need to understand the breadth of this. How many things are better for us than wealth is. Okay? The fear of the Lord is better than wealth. The fear of the Lord. Look at chapter 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. The fear of the Lord. Also, righteousness is better than wealth. Look at chapter 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Righteousness is better than wealth. Also, humility is better than wealth. Look at chapter 16, verse 19. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So humility is better than wealth. Also, integrity is better than wealth. Integrity, look at chapter 19, verse 1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity 
than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. So integrity is better than wealth. Also, a wife of noble character is better than wealth. Look at chapter 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. An excellent wife is better than wealth. And also your reputation is better than wealth. Look at chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. So you see, what Proverbs does is it holds up two things and, and two good things. And it says, if you ever have to choose between these two things, make sure you choose this one. So if you have to choose between more riches and a good name, choose the name. Your reputation ought to be more valuable to you than some extra bucks. Don't let yourself become known as the man or the woman who will do anything in order to get ahead. The person who trounces the little people on your climb to the top or the person who can't be trusted to help people. See, your reputation matters. Now, what lies behind all of these things that I've listed is something that's repeated at least five times in the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is better than wealth. Wisdom is better than wealth. Let me give you just one example. Look at chapter 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. It's been delightful for me to see my children grasp this idea that wisdom is better than wealth. When I was their age, and I used to race with my brother, you know, first one to touch the car, get in the car, whatever. We would say, last one is a rotten egg. But when my kids compete in such ways, they don't highlight the loser the way I did when I was young. They highlight the winner. And it used to be the case for them that the first one to accomplish the feat, the one to win the race would have the honor of shouting, gold, because they got the gold medal. But a few years ago, my kids matured and the game changed. They realized that gold was no longer good enough for them. And so now the prize for winning any little competition is to be able to shout, wisdom, Moments like that, you think you feel like you're succeeding as a parent, you know, but it's God's grace because the gold medal is what they're stuck with if they only get second place. The second place person can shout gold. The point of all this is to simply recognize that though wealth is better than poverty, the fear of the Lord and righteousness, humility, integrity, your reputation, a wise wife, And wisdom are all even better for you than wealth. So if you're given the chance to acquire more wealth, but you would have to sacrifice your integrity, 
or your humility or your reputation or your righteousness or wisdom in order to do so. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Now, how does this impact real life decisions? These priorities. As I said earlier, the Lord does not give you a multiple choice answer key to the questions of life. What he gives you is a set of priorities to be kept in the right order. And wisdom is a stubborn refusal to put these things in the wrong order. So, you could make more money if you go on your lunch break a little early without first punching out. Or if you stretch out those time sheets and record your personal time as though it were work time. You'll get more wealth, which is better for you than poverty but at the cost of righteousness before God and your own integrity. Don't do it. You could get farther in your research or your academic credibility if you simply deny some of the basic truths of the universe, such as God's work of creation or God's assignment of gender or God's intentions for marriage and sexuality. You could get farther ahead if you deny these things, but it's not worth it. Far better for you to maintain your humility and your fear of the Lord than to get ahead and profit from it. You might get more notice and more investment as an athlete or a coach, if you toot your own horn, if you give people a good show of trash talk on the field, but it's not worth it. Far better to gain a good name as a person who plays fair and who can recognize when others are better than you are at something. Wisdom requires a stubborn refusal to put these things in the wrong order. So when you ask God for wisdom, remember that you're not asking for an answer key to life's questions. You're asking for insight into the priorities you should have as a child of God. But financial priorities are not the only sort of priorities the Proverbs speak to. We must also consider point number two, relational priorities. And in the realm of relationships, the book of Proverbs also loves to hold up two things next to each other and then to say, it would be really nice if you could have both of these, but if you're ever forced to choose, make sure you choose this and not this. Okay, let me show you how it does that with four pairs of comparisons that ought to affect our relational choices. The first comparison is between friendship and feasting. Friendship and feasting. Friendship is better than feasting. Look at chapter 15, verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. See, in a bit of a roundabout way, this verse holds up friendship and feasting. Both of them are good things, and, but, but one of them should always win if there's a conflict. A relationship of love is to be sought and kept 
even if you only get to eat salad. Don't ever choose the fattened ox, the juicy steak, if it requires a loss of friendship to the point of hatred. In other words, what this is saying is it's better for you to have strong relationships in the home than to have all kinds of delicacies, gadgets, or accessories. Men, I'd like to talk to you for a moment. Because the wisdom of God clearly tells us that friendship and even family are clearly better than a feast. Too many men today think that they are caring for their families by earning an income and putting food on the table. But if relationships in the home are going haywire and you are not present to engage with your wife and with your kids, to see their concerts and their competitions, to share their highs and their lows, to walk with them through the challenges of learning, of growing and puberty and the teenage experience, then you have chosen the wrong priority. It would be better to just stick with bread and herbs on the table than to remain absent and disengaged. Friendship or family is better than a feast. That's the first relational priority of wisdom. Here's another, which shows us how to form such strong relationships. Self-control is better than strength. Self-control is better than strength. Look at chapter 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Now, it is a wonderful thing to have a strong and skilled military that can conquer cities. But what God deems, what God's wisdom deems even more valuable than that is a slow temper and a self-controlled spirit. You might find this funny, ladies, but when guys like to work out, they often find themselves sizing up one another as soon as they walk into a room. And the funny thing is that though the biggest guys are often the most intimidating and the most self-confident, they're also often the most insecure because they're the ones who notice immediately when another man is taller, broader, or larger. And then the big guy feels threatened by the presence of the bigger guy Because men sometimes act as though strength is the highest value, a top priority. But those who have received God's wisdom understand that what's way more valuable than that is self-control. You may feel safe from external threats when you're in the presence of a tough guy. But who can protect you from his temper 
when he turns it against you. Far more trustworthy, far more safe is a man who controls his spirit. A man who knows how to speak and act with a gentle wisdom. This proverb also speaks to strength in the sense of authority. It could just be physical raw strength, but also consider authority. Such that a person might sacrifice self-control for no other reason than to flex the strength of their authority. I remember a time when one of my sons asked me why his mother usually gets her way in our home when I'm supposed to be the head of the family. And I could have taken the opportunity to teach him about servant leadership, about how a godly man lays down his life for his wife, and that's what's going on here. But instead, I just felt really insecure by the question. And the next day, I decided to deny most of my wife's requests, only to prove to my son that I could. How cowardly. That was quite foolish of me, and I'm not proud of it. It was nothing like the Lord Jesus who chose to hang helplessly on a cross when he could have called a troop of angels to rescue him. Self-control is better than strength. Now, if you can have big muscles and manly gentleness... That would be the best of all worlds. The blessing of God gives both. There's nothing wrong with strength. I praise God for such men in our church as our brother Vadim. I'll hold him up because he's not here today. He has both self-control and strength, and I praise God for him. But if you have to choose only one, don't be the kind of sissy who hits the gym daily but has no inner strength. You don't want to be that guy. Self-control is better than strength. Here's a third relational priority. Proximity is better than pedigree. Proximity is better than pedigree. What I mean by that is that godly friendship is generally going to be more valuable to you even than ties of blood. Look at chapter 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. We've all experienced times of suffering and calamity. And when families are strong in the Lord, they are a wonderful gift. But the Bible recognizes that ties of blood are not and typically will not be the strongest of human ties. That's why the book of Genesis says that a man leaves his father and his mother to form an even stronger bond with his wife. So when push comes to shove and you hit rock bottom, you'd better hope for a good friend who is in close proximity to help you. Because 
such friends will be both more available and generally even more encouraging than a sibling or a parent or a child back in your hometown. I've really wrestled this through as a parent because I would like to be really close with my kids. All of them. I want my sons to let me in and to consider me a trustworthy source of counsel and encouragement. I call all four of my daughters my girlfriends. I love having girl talk with them and seeing them grow into godly young ladies. But despite my best intentions, every one of my children has relational needs that I cannot meet. They all have great friends whom they will tell things that they wouldn't tell Aaron or me. You know what? That's okay. It's actually quite healthy. It's not always easy, but Aaron and I have come to enjoy helping our children to nurture such godly friendships because the day will come when each of these young people will be better served by a friend in close proximity than by their pedigree of having come from our family. Proximity is better than pedigree. So one's thinking about family can certainly go wrong when family ties are seen as the only human ties that trump all other ties. And this gets quite unhealthy when, for example, grandparents expect to be obeyed as though they were parents or grown adults feel they must limit their godly friendships to keep their extended family happy. But the wisdom of God tells us that proximity is better than pedigree. Now let me close out this list of relational priorities with a fourth and final priority. A place where the book of Proverbs holds up two things, often in tension with each other, and advises us to choose wisely. It is this. Singleness is better than squabbling. Singleness is better than... Then squabbling. Look at chapter 21, verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. This is one of the most frequent better than pairings in the book of Proverbs. It also occurs in 21.9 and 25.24 where we're told that it's better to live in a corner of the attic than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And chapter 27 verse 15 goes even further by comparing a quarrelsome wife with a pesky leak on a rainy day that never goes away and just makes a mess of things. The Bible is clear that the battle of the sexes is a real thing. It began in Genesis 3 as part of the fallout of sin. After eating the forbidden fruit, the man and the woman turned against one another, blaming one another and fleeing from one another. And part of God's curse on their sin was that this battle of the sexes would continue through the ages and they would have to work really hard to overcome it. So I've already spoken to the men earlier who may be tempted to use their superior physical strength to get what they want or who might deceive themselves into thinking 
that they don't need to be present as long as they're providing for the family. So let me now speak to the sisters here this morning who may be tempted to succumb to this battle of the sexes where you may be tempted to resort to nagging or quarreling to get your way. And it might even be for a good cause. Perhaps your husband is doing the wrong thing and you're trying to set him straight. But please understand that fighting him is not the way to inspire him. Now, I'm not saying that you're never allowed to disagree with him. By all means, disagree with him whenever he's being a simpleton. And go ahead and let him know the truth in a respectful way. Perhaps like this. Darling, it seems to me that the children would benefit from some additional time together in the Bible led by their father. Could we please talk about how to make that fit into our schedules? There are lots of ways you could do it. But once you've registered your question or your concern, don't keep returning to it over and over again like that leaky roof. It's often best to submit to his direction and to honor his leadership. Now, if he is clearly sinning and it's causing harm to the family, then I advise you to speak with your shepherding elder for further counsel. We'd love to help you. I am not saying that you just have to live with the consequences of your husband's sin that's doing damage. And if there's any sort of abuse taking place in the home, the elders stand ready to help you flee from it or bring it to an end. You do not have to live under the evil of abusive behavior. But if the difference between you and your husband is one of preference or it's something that you think could be better, but you you can't point to a specific Bible verse that calls it sin, it would be better for you to resist the urge to squabble, lest your husband begin to wish for a private retreat off in the desert. But what do these verses about quarrelsome wives have to do with you if you are unmarried? To the unmarried, I encourage you to receive the wisdom of God in this area. Please understand that getting married is not the highest goal in life. It can be tempting to think that it's worth it to settle for just about anyone in order to not become an old maid or to remain a bachelor till the rapture. But Bonnie Drips once gave me some superb counsel when she told me, when I was single, that there are things worse than being single. And being in a bad marriage is one of them. So if you are dating someone or you're considering dating someone and you have major disagreements with that person on how to go about life, Please take your time to work those things through. It would be better to break up than to rush into a marriage filled with bickering and quarreling. 
when Aaron and I counsel couples considering marriage, we try to help them think through the major issues to discover whether they're heading in the same direction or opposite directions. Things like what size family would you like to have? What sort of education are you committed to for your children? Will one or both of you be breadwinners? How do you envision the spiritual climate of the home? What sort of ministry do you want to take place inside or outside the home? And so on. Some of these details need to be figured out along the way. Okay, you can't figure out everything before you say I do. But the major philosophical issues ought to be figured out before you get married, even better, before you get engaged, to prevent deadlock and entrenchment on things that matter. For all these reasons, the Proverbs declare that singleness is better than squabbling. So please understand that the wisdom of God for life decisions is not like an answer key for the test of life. The wisdom God offers to his children is a wisdom that will shape your priorities. Wisdom requires a stubborn refusal to put things in the wrong order. Since the Bible says, for example, that self-control is better than strength, then if I'm ever forced to choose between them, I will choose the first over the second. But when it comes to actual decisions, the Lord gives his people tremendous freedom. If you can acquire both pieces of a positive contrast, then go for it. If you can get wealth and righteousness or friendship and a feast, then more power to you. Great. Praise God and serve him with it. As long as you hold on to the better thing, the Lord gives you the freedom to just choose something you would enjoy. You don't have to be afraid of missing out on wisdom or of failing to find God's will in your decision. There is no one career that is the right one for you in God's eyes. Find one that gets you excited and give your time and your treasure to it so your heart can get on board as well. Because this proper ordering of priorities is all about where our hearts are. Jesus himself taught that whenever we invest Excuse me, wherever we invest our treasure, our hearts will follow. So the person who finds the kingdom of God is like a merchant of pearls who finds the most valuable pearl on the planet and goes and sells everything he has just so he can own that one pearl. And friends, Jesus himself is the wisdom of God come to earth as a man. And to find him is to find eternal life and unending joy. So I would do you a disservice this morning if I didn't remind you of what is perhaps the most important, better than comparison in the Bible. The seminal place where the scriptures hold up two things and tell you that if you have to choose, choose one. Choose this one. Because Jesus died and rose from the dead, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. You see, there is one true treasure, one true righteousness, one hope of eternal life. It is the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, who loves you and gave himself up for you. If you can get only one thing in life, get him. Wisdom requires a stubborn refusal to put things in the wrong order. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, may we delight in Jesus and consider all else as rubbish compared to knowing him. And may we lay it all out. May we keep all of these things in the order you have assigned to them. And we ask, Lord, that you would please give us wisdom to live as your people, as a people who have been rescued and redeemed, who have been bought with the blood of Christ, that the world might know of the surpassing value of this one great pearl of your kingdom that we can know only because of Jesus. We ask that you would help us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.